We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Alright, welcome to another edition of the Butting Heads Podcast from Ramstock Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro. No Johnny today. We're going to be doing things a little differently. We got an interview with Roto World's Thor Nystrom. Thor and I, uh, we, we, we had, it was a great conversation. We talked about the draft. We talked about the Rams draft, obviously, in particular. Guys that were on the board, that we left on the board, guys that we took. Uh, and then some of the later guys, undrafted guys that Thor thought could have a lot of potential. Uh, so, that's today's pod. Before we get into our conversation with Thor, please don't forget, if you haven't yet, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and be entered to win a Rams jersey. Customize any player you want, any name you want, any number you want, any color you want, whether you want the new jersey, the old jersey, the throwback jerseys. We'll get you whatever one you want. Once we hit 200 reviews, we're creeping up. We're almost there. 14 reviews away, so if you haven't gotten your review in yet, uh, please do not forget Get that in soon. Uh, and if you have any questions for us or anybody, don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at TalkRams, uh, at SuperBarrel, at johnny 6 And uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Thor. All right, we are here with Roto World's Thor Nystrom. Thor, first of all, you, you got a great name, obviously. Uh, not every day I get to come in contact with Thor. Uh, how's it going, man? We've, we've been trying to set this up for a while. I'm glad we're getting it done. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's uh, it's going to be fun to talk some Rams and Ram, Rams draft prospects. Excited to do it. Yeah, Thor is a draft guy over at Roto World. Thor, Thor I got to ask you this first. Uh, I, I've been following you for a while, and ever since I started following you, you've been tweeting about 
uh, NCAA football 2014, which is obviously a game that was discontinued after that one. Uh, it's happening. It's having a little bit of a moment right now during the quarantine. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's, it's been kind of neat to see. Yeah. Cause you know, when I, I started, uh, you know, sort of putting it out there a couple years ago, you know, and, and, and tweeting these videos and stuff about my online dynasties and stuff, it really wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't like a thing at that time, but it was kind of cool because it, you know, I started to see that like people at least had nostalgia for it, if if not played it currently. But like like you're saying now, it's like it's it's really had this this sort of surge during the quarantine in a huge way. Like, you know, people will message me now and, you know, tell me, like, I want to get into one of your dinos if it you know, if I wouldn't have to put down a second mortgage on my house to buy one <laughs> online. They're up to like one hundred and fifty dollars. To, to buy like just the game you know the ps3 game if you want to get it on ebay it's like 150 bucks and that's without the system you know you could get it for 50 bucks i mean four or five months ago it's it's really like the pandemic and the quarantine people having to be home and people are like oh man i don't got nothing to do and now people really want to play ncaa it, it's crazy man i i either lost 2014 or i probably sold it for like five or ten dollars because i kind of figured i'd never play it again but uh here we are i could be sitting on a gold mine if i just kept my copy i don't, I don't know what happened to it uh, but that, that's a classic game and hopefully now that the uh the, the players can make a little money off themselves we'll actually we'll we'll get some traction on this and get these games back because that that's serious rules Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, the guy, the guys that I play in the dinos with, we talk about this a lot about how like those guys, like we, we will play the game so much that in, in, invariably will ruin our disc, you know, like, you know, every, you know, six right. months or so one of us will, you know, our, our disc will stop working. And so then we'll have to go to GameStop and get a new one. And, you know, we've been talking about like, there's going to come a point if, if they don't make a new NCA game where like all the games there won't be any games no more because they'll all get you know broken or whatever mm -hmm. and now with you know like you're mentioning with the pandemic stuff and people you know snapping all these up like it's becoming a more uh, scarce thing and a more rare thing and there's going to be less copies every year because there's savages like me and my buddies who play these things until they break I, I would love if EA and I don't know if this would work legally but just like Put the most recent version of that game on the online stores and all the systems. Gave all the proceeds to charity, so you wouldn't have to deal with, uh, you know, the lawsuits that obviously ended these all the NCAA games. And and there we go. Make some money for charity. Everybody gets to play their games. We're all happy. Uh, but hey, we'll see. I I think in a couple of years we will get that franchise back. Uh, I miss the coaching carousel, man. That those dynasty modes. Those that game had the best dynasty mode of any sports franchise. A thousand percent, yeah. And that's, I mean, like, why do I still play that game when it was made in two thousand and thirteen, and now we're in twenty twenty? That's the reason. Uh, the, the dynasty, it's still, you know, the dynasty mode. It still holds up to today, where I, I think it's a much better dynasty experience than like the current Maddens. And I, I don't even know, you know, how Madden would catch it because the. The recruiting element, you know, like you mentioned, coaching carousel, the transfers. I, I was just uh, right before I got on with you, um, one of my I, I logged in for one of my online dinos. Um, I'm, I'm Syracuse in that one. And we're, we just got done with the first season. And um, 
Tommy DeVito, I put up too many stats with him, so he was trying to declare for the draft, but I talked him into staying, so that was great. But then we went into the the transfer request, and I got uh, uh, Drake London from USC, a freshman receiver who's 6'5", like, you know, 215, and he's an 80 overall. Mm -hmm. He wants to come to Syracuse, and I was like, yes, sir, come on down. Come to New York. Move across the country, son. Let's do this. Like, I'll get you into the system. Oh, oh man, I miss that game, man. It's really great game yeah, yeah and especially like when you're it's you know it, it's fun enough with one person but it it truly goes next level when you have 10 or 12 just savages playing in an online dynasty because that's when the recruiting element truly just goes to the next level when you're competing with all these other guys that know all the ins and the secrets and like everything like that and you're just going balls to the wall for the same you know recruits and yeah it's it's just tremendous i love that game yeah I miss it. Well, Thor, just just so you know, it's completely on brand for this podcast to open an interview with five minutes of talking about a game that came out seven years ago. But hey, uh, we I, we brought Thor on to talk about talk about the draft, and obviously uh, the draft was a couple weeks ago. The Rams they walked in without a first round pick, so we were already in some hot water. And I would say the majority of us did not want a running back in the second round like whatsoever i a lot, i felt pretty strongly about it i didn't think it was necessary malcolm brown's an okay backup we liked daryl henderson we took him last year thought thought it would have been nice to give him a shot but i think now that we have cam Akers on the team uh who i mean i personally think he looks like he's going to be a great player for us it, it seems like we're okay with the pick but i'd love to hear your side from an outsider's perspective on or not a rams fan did you think the Rams would look running back here? And how do you feel about Cam Akers in comparison to uh, the other guys that were still on the board, such as J.K. Dobbins, uh, A.J. Dillon, et cetera? Yeah, my my only slight surprise was it just goes back to one of the first things you said, which was just a lack of draft equity. You know, and, and the Rams had some of these acute holes, which maybe, you know, we'll talk about in a little bit, but particularly offensive line and stuff like that. And, you know, in, in some of these positions where they had holes, you were going to see the talent drop off the shelf, you know, after after the second, third round there. And so I thought, you know, maybe th- that was my only surprise was using a premium pick there, your first one on that position. However, I really like Cam Akers. And so that was the only reason that I didn't have a huge quibble with it. I, I ranked him before the draft as the fourth running back. I had him above J.K. Dobbins. Um, and so, you know, and, and certainly above A.J. Dillon as well, uh, you know, Cam Akers is a kid who, um, you know, if, if people just watch his his cutups in college, particularly his last two years, you don't get a great sense for what was going on there. But the the thing with the, the Cam Akers situation and you read his scouting reports, too, you'll always read like, you know, Cam Akers is super duper talented, but he's you know, he's too tentative, you know, and stuff like this. And he dances too much behind the line. Well, Cam Akers ran behind these abysmal offensive lines the last three years. It wasn't just last year. And like you look into the advanced stats every single year in terms of like adjusted line yards and in terms of like the PFF grading of offensive lines, he was running behind bottom 10 run blocking offensive lines. And a couple of those years, it was bottom three. And I'm I'm talking in the FBS. Like I'm not talking in the power five or in the ACC. I'm talking in the whole FBS. So, you know, you're tossing in like UL Monroe and, you know, I mean, you know, right. teams like that, you know, in the Sun Belt, like they, 
FSU had like a legitimate sort of like FCS offensive line the last couple of years, and they're going up against teams like Clemson and Miami, you know, and, and teams like that. Um, you know, th- their front was just getting ripped apart. And so Cam Akers was always confronted uh, with bodies in the backfield right after he got the ball. And so, you know, I, I just want to make that point of like, I-, I thought that part of his evaluation was a bit unfair because you're, you're going to be dancing in the backfield when there's always people crashing through right when you touch the ball. You know, whereas, you know, for instance, you brought up uh, Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson, that was sort of an opposite situation where whenever he got the ball at Memphis, there was just wide open spaces for him, you know, and he could hit all these home runs and stuff like that. Um, you know, so it's just like you have to look into, you know, the player's specific situation and, you know, Cam Akers, I think when you look into that context, he starts to acquit himself a bit better. You know, you go back to his true freshman year. He looked awesome, you know, like under Jimbo Fisher. And then obviously the wheels started to fall off, you know, these past couple of years. And his true freshman season, they didn't have a good offensive line either. But, you know, it was a slightly more coherent offensive plan and stuff like that. And then the Willie Taggart era everything fell apart and it's not just the offensive lines here's the last point i'll make you know they went from jimbo fisher of course to willie taggart and then they had you know interim head coaches i think they had three or four different offensive coordinators during his three years there the quarterback play was absolutely terrible so he was in a really tough situation coming in he was a five-star prospect he's a really good athlete um he runs with power uh, he's a he's a pass catching back as well. And the other thing is, is he passed blocks. And so he, he's a complete back. And so it wasn't necessarily a surprise for me that, you know, a creative staff like the Rams could sort of see through some of the BS of his evaluation and, and bring him in. I'm I, I'm excited to see him on the Rams. Yeah, and, and you mentioned all those negatives about the Florida State situation. This is a guy who still had over eleven hundred yards and 14 touchdowns on, I, I would say, uh, efficient numbers. He's averaged five yards a carry, so it's not like they're just pounding him into the ground. So uh, there obviously are a lot of questions about the Rams line. Uh, I, I, it was definitely a need, and I was surprised I didn't address it at all. I wasn't as like shocked as a lot of people because it seems like they like a lot of the guys they have internally, but at the same time, they said that last year, and the season started out as a disaster before they were able to patch some things up, but. Yeah, so at at the very least, he has experience running behind a not great line and dancing around. And if the Rams' uh, offensive line doesn't meet its lofty expectations, I guess uh, he he's at least a guy that you might have some promise moving around uh, and get getting away from tackles and such. And I think they've always, I think this makes it more clear. They probably always viewed Daryl Henderson as more of a. I, I don't want to say complimentary, but like kind of like how the Saints would mix in Alvin Kamara when they had Mark Ingram. And I think that's probably the type of backfield they're going to aspire to have with both of these guys in the building. I, I don't think it'll be as productive as those two, but that model at least. Yeah, and I, I think that that's fair. You know, Daryl Henderson, he's like a, he's like a baseball player where it's like, you know, they, they say like three true outcomes, you know, where it's like strikeout walk or home run like Daryl Henderson, you know, in college, he was always looking for the home run. He was always looking for that, you know, the, the one crease to the end zone where then he could just, you know, take it off and zoom or whatever. But like, you know, the, the complete aspect of his game that like Cam Akers has Daryl Henderson's game is, is not quite as fully fleshed out. And so I, I think like, 
with him, you, you, you would look at him as more of a situational back. And so it's not necessarily, you know, again, a surprise for me that the Rams wanted to bring in uh, a more complete guy to, um, to work in with him. And I, I think that Daryl Henderson's probably going to be the, the second banana to acres. Um, if not immediately, then whenever, you know, acres sort of works himself up to full speed. Yeah, and, and you you said he was your fourth ranked running back. I believe he was the fourth running back off the board. So I mean, it it makes sense if you could get the fourth best player at a position, especially one as imp- important as running back can be at fifty two. Uh, it's not the end of the world, and I think we've we've all kind of come to grips and actually like the pick uh, more much more now than we did when it happened. And uh, Acres should be good, uh, but. What, so after they take Acres, a lot of us, even though we're pretty deep at wide receiver, even without Brandon Cooks, you know, every it it's been talked about how deep this receiver class is, and so it kind of seemed like an expectation that we would draft a receiver uh, with one of these two second round picks at least, maybe wait till the third, but you get one, and we end we end up with Van Jefferson, uh, who. A lot of people have compared him to Cooper Cup, which is like a good comparison, but we already have Cooper Cup. Uh, <laughs> most notably, and I'd be remiss to say this, if I or if I didn't say this without Johnny here, uh, Denzel Mims was on the board, goes two picks later at 59. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a couple other talented guys on the board, but that that's probably the biggest one. I mean, did that kind of shock you that they they didn't go with Mims, who even though he might be a little bit more of a project, he's I'd say he's more fits the mold of what they would have liked to have next to Cup and Woods. But they went with the more I I guess NFL ready guy, even though I'd say his ceiling is a bit lower. A hundred percent. Yeah, I I was really surprised by the Jefferson pick. Um, you know, not as much the Acres pick, but definitely the the Jefferson pick. I I thought that was a reach. Um, you know, I, I'd heard a lot about Jefferson, I, I, you know, in, in Indianapolis and stuff there at the Combine and, and from some of my friends like in the industry. And I, I knew that Jefferson had a lot of he had a lot of fans, you know, in, in the scouting community and stuff like that. And, you know, a guy like that that runs, you know, the really crisp routes and he's you know, he's already sort of polished at this age and stuff like that. And he has NFL bloodlines, et cetera. Like you can see some of that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, for me, you know, like like you're sort of mentioning, the upside is is just a bit capped there. Um, you know, I you know, and, and let, you know, you brought up the, the Cooper Cup thing. You know, you're wondering, is, is Van Jefferson just sort of a slot guy at the next level? Like, I don't think he's going to he's not very dangerous after the catch. I don't think he's a super athletic kid. Um, you know, he, he you you didn't see him make many plays downfield in college. Um, you know what he is, you know, it's again, it's 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 the running the the really polished routes early and stuff like that. You can tell he's worked a lot on that kind of stuff. You know, his releases are really good and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I just you know, for me, I, I ranked him like well lower than where the Rams took. I, I ranked him one hundred and thirty third. I just Ooh. saw him as more. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I just saw him sort of more as like a. You know, a uh, okay slot receiver at the next level, or a, um, you know, a, a you know, a number four kind of receiver. And the other thing is, Jefferson's older for a prospect as well. So I mean, it, it sort of makes sense that he's a bit more polished than than some of these other kids. Um, you know, he never caught fifty balls in college. You know, he he never got to seven hundred receiving yards. Uh, you know, I I don't know. 
I mean, again, th- there's some things you can point to, you know, and, and say, oh, you, you know, you like that and stuff like that. But um, for me, when when you have a prospect like, you know, for instance, Denzel Mims, and he's falling down the board. Denzel Mims is a guy, you know, whatever, you know, six three, you know, two hundred and whatever, who tested in what the ninety fifth percentile or so in 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 Indianapolis, and the the nitpicks on his game were that he didn't run a full route tree at Baylor, you know, that they would just send him on fly routes or send him on slant routes. Well, you know, a couple of things about that, which was, you know, number one, he went to the Senior Bowl and he ran a full route tree and he was just destroying people so you know that that was number one and then of course he proved that he had the athleticism to run you know all the routes and then the other thing was you know about his evaluation that you know I, I thought should have been brought up more was he Denzel Mims was the only receiver in this class who didn't have even one catch off of a screen pass last year so all of his production was come you know I mean so you know you argue it the one way and say oh Denzel Mims he was just a downfield guy and you know, across the middle. And it's like, well, sure, but there was a really high degree of difficulty on everything he was being thrown and he didn't get any freebies. You know, a lot of these receivers in this class, like the, you know, the vast majority of their production was coming on manufactured touches. Denzel Mims didn't have one yard that came off of a manufactured touch. And we, again, we know he's a stud athlete. We know he can make plays downfield, all this kind of stuff. And it really seems like his game is, you know, is, is going to grow at the next level because he just wasn't given an opportunity to do some of this other stuff. And like you mentioned, for the Rams specifically, they already have a good slot. You know, it, it seems like they could have used a dangerous outside guy that can I mean, if nothing else, we know Mims can get downfield. You know, I mean, if nothing else, he's like a DJ Shark type prospect coming out, you know, where, you know, he can pop the top off downfield. Um, so, you know, in, in, in terms of all that stuff, it, that was surprising. And then the other thing with Van Jefferson, like, you know, to me, I don't see like a huge, huge qualitative difference between a guy like Van Jefferson and a guy like, you know, for instance, like KJ Hill. You know, and K.J. Hill, like, oh, I think he went in the seventh round. You know, guys like James Prochet, you know, I think he went maybe in the sixth or the seventh. Um, and, and so for the Rams, again, a team that had these holes, um, you know, you're, you're sitting in this historically stocked receiver class if you're not going to take the guy with a huge upside like Mims. Okay, fair enough. Maybe you've seen something on the tape and your scouts don't like him for whatever reason. Fair enough. But why don't you use that pick on an offensive lineman? Because there were still some really good ones there, you know, some really strong prospects. Um, you know, that's that, – and I was talking with Steve about this before the show, but I, I watched the draft. I, I had a, um, a buddy and a coworker who drove into town from – actually from Washington State, but he happens to be a diehard Rams fan, my, my colleague Mark Lindquist. And uh, the, the Acres pick, he, he was okay with that, you know, after a second. He had to sort of, you know – you know, sort of talk himself into it, but the the Van Jefferson pick, he was irate. You know, I he was almost inconsolable after the Van Jefferson pick. So that was a tough one. Yeah, I I think you know a lot of us have come around on Van Jefferson to an extent, but I think you nailed the two the two biggest reasons why I didn't love this pick. And the first is, you know, Mims is sitting there. If you're going to take a receiver, like if the Rams don't get any production from this, a receiver at 57 this year, I don't really think like their outlook changes. They're going to run more 12 personnel, uh, to begin with. And they have Josh Reynolds, who's not, he's not a guy who's going to set the world on fire, but as the third wide receiver, you could do a lot worse. Uh, in addition to obviously Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, who are both two great route runners, you know, even if, 
like I know you mentioned the com- the complaints about Mims' lack of route running is overblown, but even if all he does is go downfield and catch footballs, like you have two great route runners already. That's a a toll that has been missing from the Rams for over a decade. I mean, since Torrey Holt left, the closest thing we've had to a guy who could go up and get touchdowns uh, and get contested balls is like Sammy Watkins, who I mean, we don't need to go into Sammy Watkins right now. We had we tried it with Brian Quick. That was a disaster. It's I just think if you're going to go receiver here, you should take that swing on a guy like Denzel Mims because both running back and receiver to me were luxury picks. Uh, you mentioned O-line, and even more pressing to me was linebacker both inside and out. And in the next couple picks, guys like uh, Josh Uchi, Willie Gay, Julian Aquara go. Uh, guys that within the next 10 picks of Van Jefferson, you if you're not going to take the swing on a guy like Mims, yeah, I would have rather gone uh, in that direction or even an offensive lineman because you know, we, we like a, a lot of the guys we have in the building, but none of them are really sure things outside of uh, Andrew Whitworth, who's ancient. So it's, it, 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 I, I think you nailed it with, the, with those, with those two big complaints. Like I, I wish they just took the swing on a guy like Mims because his, even he has some bust potential. Sure. But his potential is, is through the roof. And, uh, if, if Jefferson pans out, I feel like he's just a, a worse version of Cooper cup, which isn't bad. But not it's not what we need unless they really don't plan on bringing Cooper Cup back after the season, which I feel like they probably do plan on bringing him back. At least it's my hunch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I agree with the, a lot of what you're saying, and you know, as far as the linebacker stuff goes, you know, and and again, maybe they're they just wanted more cost certainty as opposed to boomer buzz. But Willie Gay would have been a really fun prospect. You talk about like the best the best linebacker athlete outside of Isaiah Simmons, and even going back a couple classes, Willie Gay is just an incredible athlete and was always awesome in coverage in college. He's a bit of a head case, which is why he was available there. But mm-hmm. I would I would way rather take a swing on a on a guy like that where you could get a potential star than, you know, get a lower upside guy like Jefferson. And again, like, you, you know, in this receiver class, you, you sort of have to know, you know, it, it's just like fantasy football, for instance. You know, like when 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 you're in a dynasty league, you're in a draft. Like, you know, you have a couple holes on your roster, and so you know I'm going to take this position, I'm going to take that position. You can't necessarily fall in love with one player and just say, like, you know, if he's there, I'm going to take him. It, the The better approach is to drop the prospects into tiers. And so you sort of know, like, you know, okay, I, you know, at this at this position, like after, you know, after this guy, it, it drops off. You know, way drops off to here, drops off to here. And I think if the Rams, you know, maybe if they thought about that a little bit more, they, you know, they would have realized like, yeah, okay. You know, Van Jefferson, there's, there's some, you know, nice elements to his game and he can probably come in and, and, and play immediately and stuff like that. But, you know, again, like this is the deepest wide receiver class, maybe of the last decade or two and prospects that aren't too terribly different than Van Jefferson are going to be available late on day three you know, in, in terms of upside, in terms of what they can bring to the table immediately. So, you know, why would we, when we're, we're short on, on draft equity, why would we use one of those second round picks that we have on a guy like Jefferson when instead, you know, you can either swing for the fences on one of the other positions, or you can just bring in, you know, a lower ceiling guy who's, you know, you know, is going to be a long time starter, you know, whatever. 
they, they, they had a, a lot of different ways they could have gone. So I would have agreed with that. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the third round, they, they finally addressed some like pressing holes. They take Terrell Lewis at 84, an outside linebacker who, uh, should fill a need probably from day one. And then I, I, I want to talk about Terrell Burgess at 104. Uh, he's listed as a safety, which I, no one really would peg as a position of need for the Rams, but the, a lot of the talk after, right after the pick was that they're going to use him as, as a slot cornerback, uh, to, re- to fill the hole where Nickel Roby Coleman, uh, who, who they cut in the offseason was, he was our main slot guy. Uh, and obviously we, we also, we don't play a ton of inside linebackers. So it seems like Burgess is going to be a guy that could be used in a lot of different roles, uh, from day one with the Rams. Yeah. And I, I, I like that way of thinking about him, you know, like when I, when I thought about Burgess, I thought about like a super utility player in baseball, you know, a guy that can do a whole bunch of different things, you know, last year, um, you know, he played safety, um, you know, it was, I, I believe it was his first year start, you know, full-time starting or whatever. Um, but like, you know, he, he goes in there, plays safety. He's built more like, um, you know, a cornerback, um, and, and, you know, more like a, a slot kind of a guy. Um, although he's, he is pretty well built, you know, 5'11", 202. Um, and he's not, he's not the greatest athlete in the world, which is why, you know, I, I think he was, he was available there, but what you saw last year and, and so a couple of different things we know from listening to like, uh, players and coaches talk about him that the play that Burgess is like a super duper smart player. Like he, he just, you know, draws rave reviews and like, you know, a guy that sort of can call out what the other team is doing, you know, before it happens, stuff like that. And then on the field, um, he had PFF, PFF's fourth highest coverage grade in the country last year at safety. He had a grade over 90, which is like elite territory. Um, you know, he, he only gave up 190 yards on 40 targets, six forced incompletions, didn't give up a touchdown, uh, passer rating against of 65.6. So I, that's all elite. He also gave up less than five, five yards per target last year, which is pretty crazy for a safety. I mean, that, that's sort of mind boggling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so like, you know, you think about all that stuff and then, you know, I mean, he, he's built sort of, he also has like shorter kind of arms as well. So he just has more of a, and the other thing I'll say about him is he's a really good tackler, like a really, really sound tackler. And so he's a really good special teams player as well, going to the point of like the utility player and a guy you can squeeze extra value out of. So I, you know, I think identifying him as like a guy that can come in and immediately and play slot. I, I like that because I think he'll be able to do that we already know he's awesome in coverage and he has some of these limitations that we're going to prevent him from playing outside corner um but that's it's not going to prevent him from being really good in coverage you know in in the slot and he's a guy who potentially later on in his career you know if, if the rams maybe need have more of a needed safety they could think about you know moving him back um you know you, you could think about doing different things with him because he's such a smart player but you know, again, we we know that he knows that he knows how to cover guys. He's got coverage shops, and he's a really good tackler. So I, I like that pick. Yeah, at the end of the third, if you're gonna take a guy you're expecting to to have an impact on the team, uh, that that's the kind of guy I like to draft that has has a lot of different uh, kind of like a Swiss Army knife, where he has a lot of different tools that could potentially be plugged in at different spots of the team. Uh, Trev, I or Thor, sorry, I I. I didn't prep you for this question, but I am curious. We we mentioned that the they obviously didn't really take an offensive lineman. They drafted Tremaine Ankrum late in the seventh, which is 
whatever. But I'm curious, like, over the last two years before this year, they drafted Brian Allen, Joseph Noteboom, David Edwards, uh, and Bobby Evans, who have who have all played to varying results. Was were, With any of those guys, were you particularly high on any of those four dudes coming out? Uh, I think out of the four, David Edwards has clearly been the one that's proven he could actually be a decent player. But I, would, I was just curious there. Yeah, not probably not in, in, in relation to, you know, where they took him or in relation to the media where it was one like where, you know, I was like super duper much higher on them than than the other kids. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, certainly I, I evaluated him. I, I think the way that I see offensive line and evaluation, the way the Rams do, maybe is a bit different. You know, like like I was saying, like, you know, this year in the, and the and maybe it's just a team building thing. I, I don't know. But like. You know, this year I thought for sure they were going to use one of those day two picks on on an offensive lineman. Um, you know, that's sort of the way that I would have gone with it. But they, you know, they held off, and then, like you said, they they took Ankrum. You know, it was the only guy they took. They took him later on, and he's just kind of a wonky player. You know, he he measured in at less than six two. You know, at the combine, and um, you know, he's you know he played some tackle in college and you know but he's he's super duper short and I, you know we'll see i but i i just think he's a he's a low probability type type prospect or whatever and um yeah the the guys the rams bring in typically i'm i'm at that position and through the draft process typically i'm not the highest on no and uh, david edwards we he he stepped in and played fairly well last year i'm i'm fine with entering him with the season or entering the season with him as a starter but it's i still think they're high on guys like joseph noteboom and brian allen who they started last year to horrifying results uh but i don't i don't know if either of those guys will end up starting week one was there anyone else uh in this draft or undrafted free agents uh that the rams were able to grab later on that stood out to you as guys who uh, could kind of burst through and become good players. Um, you know the 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 fourth round. Well, both of the so you know Terrell Lewis, the the edge they got in the third round. You know his his big question is just going to come down to like can he stay healthy and stuff like that. You know that's that's kind of a boomer bust pick that I was I was okay with. He he played less than seven hundred snaps total at Alabama, but he kind of started to come on. Late last year, he was number three in the nation in uh, uh, pressure rate off the edge for, you know, PFF stat or whatever. But again, he only played 685 snaps in, in college. So, you know, he's a guy, you know, you're just talking basically a pure edge rusher. You know, I mean, you're not going to get a ton else out of him in his game or whatever. But he did show last year that, um, you know, he has all the the tools sort of in his toolbox to become good at that. He just has to stay healthy and um, the Rams are going to have to, you know, sort of um, polish off his game a bit. And then, you know, one of the other interesting ones, you know, just talking about kind of a, a boomer bust proposition is Bryson Hopkins, the fourth round pick. Bryson Hopkins is a guy where if he could catch the ball well, he would have gone at least two rounds higher. You know, he, he's he got everything else. He's got a good frame. He's got all the athleticism you'd want. It's just that he drops way, way, way too many balls, you know, and it like, it's it's the kind of thing where you're not sure is it a head thing is it a hand thing um is it a concentration thing we're not really sure but it's follow it followed him throughout his time at at purdue and you know when he could catch the ball cleanly and in space watch out you know he was a really really dangerous tight end um but when he wasn't 
he becomes like basically a net negative because in the games where he's dropping balls, he's not a good blocker. And so, you, you know, even though he's, you know, technically an inline guy. So when, when he's not catching the ball, you're again, you're talking about a guy who's, who's not only not providing you value, he's almost providing you negative value. So it, it's a thing where if, if Bryson Hopkins can clean that up, he, he immediately becomes to steal just period because he has everything else. But if he never cleans it up, you just airmailed a fourth round pick. So it's basically the definition of sort of a, a boom bust. But I liked where the Rams got him. Um, you know, knowing this about his evaluation, I, I thought I was being pretty conservative on Bryson Hopkins, like pre-draft. I ranked him tight end six. You know, so a, a lot of guys in my industry were ranking him higher. You know, I, I saw him ranked, you know, second, third. Some guys, I think, even had him, you know, tight end one. I had him um, 115th overall, and he ends up sliding to 136. And I, I think... You know, the NFL in recent years has um, really dinged those guys with the high drop rates. And and so Bryson Hopkins was was sort of a victim of that. Some guys that have the drop, the high drop rate in college, you see them come in the NFL and they clean it up. You know, it's just something where, you know, maybe it was like, you know, a, a, a small sample size, you know, and, and so it wasn't as big of an issue as we thought. Or, you know, or maybe it was just something where they needed to work with the coach or a sports psychologist, whatever. Um, and then some guys never are able to clean it up. So that, the jury's out on that one. But um, I'm fine with with making that pick because, you know, again, it's you're, you're rolling the dice. But if, if, if you if you hit on that one, um, he's going to be worth a lot more than you paid for him. Yeah, that's that's encouraging to me at least because I I didn't really love that pick and mainly be, not not really anything against Bryson Hopkins, but we we have two capable tight ends. One of them's under contract for a long time, and we hadn't drafted an offensive lineman or inside linebacker yet. So uh, that wasn't my favorite, but it, the way you talked about him, I mean, uh, assuming Gerald Everett's not on the team after this season, he could be probably a solid number two guy behind. Uh, Tyler Higby, who's going to be doing the bulk of the catching there anyways. And uh, I think you hit on all the reasons why I like the Lewis pick. Like the same reasons why I would have liked to go Denzel Mims at 57 is uh, that's a guy who he he has all the tools and it's a matter of staying on the field. And that's the kind of, uh, you know, swing I'd like to take uh, when you're not taking guys in the first round and you're getting the guy at 84, you know, the odds of a guy going at 84 at the edge rusher and coming in and like being a safe a safe pick to be like a starter it it doesn't happen that's why they're still there at 84 so uh i i really did like that pick uh all right thor i don't want to keep you all day you you got anything anything to plug before we hop off yeah um you guys can follow me on twitter at thorku that's uh t h o r k u um and come and check out my work at uh, roto world uh, the last column I put out was UDFA class rankings. The Rams did. Rams actually did okay um, in, in in that metric. I, I get really nerdy with it. Um, like I, I rank out, I mean, like after the draft, I'm talking about I rank out hundreds of UDFAs, and then I, I give them all point totals and stuff like that. And I have a whole uh, formula, you know, for like the teams and the um, – you know, stuff like that, as far as the point totals go, where I, then I rank the classes, you know, in, in, in a quantifiable way where uh, I probably dork out with it a little bit too much, spend too much time on it. But uh, I really enjoy it. And the, the Rams ended up having the number eight uh, UDFA class in the NFL, at least according to to my numbers and, and my rankings and stuff like that. So that's something you can go and, and check out on on Roto World as well. 
eighth ain't bad at all. You don't have to elaborate on them, but give give me the the top guy you think in the Rams UDFA class. Yeah, the the top two guys that I had ranked were both quarterbacks, and I think that one of at least one, well, I think one of them, one of the two, has a really good shot at making the roster just because of the composition of it. Um, and that's Josh Love from San Jose State and Bryce Perkins from Virginia. Uh, Love was a guy who like. He, he love is an analytics darling um last year he really took off at san jose state it's just that people didn't really notice it because it's san jose state but it was like the second or the third year that they'd run the air raid um and he he formed this really good connection with this receiver named trey walker who's going to be a draft prospect next year but love he's he's smaller he's not terribly 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 athletic um but he's really accurate you know he gets the ball out on time and he, get, he gets it out on the money and he was a kid that kind of reminded me of Nick Mullins a little bit, you know, like when Mullins was playing at Southern Miss. So, you know, I, I knew that he wasn't going to get drafted, but I, I, you know, he was a guy, you know, as far as the UDFA process went that I was I was interested in. And then Bryce Perkins, I, I just think he was an underrated uh, uh, quarterback guy. You know, like he, he's an awesome, awesome athlete. Um, he did really well at Virginia. His, you know, they're going to have to work with him as far as like, you know, his pocket presence and stuff like that. Cause he, he was in a wonky offensive system where it's a lot of short stuff and stuff like that, but he has, he has a lot of ability um, and certainly all the athleticism in the world. So, you know, you bring in two guys that are sort of opposite of each other um, to sort of, you know, fight it out for, you know, that QB three role. Um, there's not a lot behind Goff, you know, as, as you know. So, um, you know, I think that's why the Rams targeted, getting two of the, I mean, Love and Perkins were two of the top quarterbacks that fell out of the draft. So to bring both them in, I think that's a good indication that the Rams think one of those two guys is going to make the roster. And just a couple other uh, ones for you guys, Tristan Jackson, a receiver from Syracuse. um, He was one of the top receivers that fell out of the draft. Um, He was a kid that came from Michigan state was a four-star prospect. He had to leave Michigan state. Um, He transfers over to to Syracuse, but he's a little bit um, at, He's not the best athlete, but he's not as bad, I think, as as maybe or is not as limited maybe as some people. Um, he tests in the forty six percentile, but he's a kid who can get deep and hurt you deep, and he did it. He did it at Syracuse. Um, he's a kid in camp that you know I, I I think you know he could open some eyes. He he he's a he's a talented kid, and I thought he had a real shot to get drafted. Um, just one other name as far as like a guy that I think has a decent shot to make the roster is Cole Cabral and who played center and interior line for Arizona state. And again, just because of the roster composition of the Rams where they didn't bring in any offensive linemen outside of Ankrum, you know? And so, and, and I'm not, I mean, Ankrum, Ankrum's okay, but I had Ankrum basically and Cabral ranked right next to each. I I had Ankrum um, interior lineman 24. I had Cabral 26. So I had them right next to each other and the Rams, you know, they didn't bring in like, like you say, you know, a lot of other help there. So, you know, I, I think those guys might be competing, you know, against each other for a roster spot, but maybe there's even room for, for more, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. But, um, you know, I, I think that that was a nice landing spot for Cabral, a, a team where he could come in and immediately potentially hang on that opening day roster and be there in week one. Yeah, it's that'd definitely be great if Cabral ended up becoming, uh, becoming something there. And, the uh, the Rams definitely like some of those offensive line guys, but there's there's probably in reality like four guys who are actual locks to make the team if somebody in camp really blows them out of the water. Uh, and and the two quarterbacks I, I thought were great signings too. 
Uh, you know, our, our current backup quarterback is John Wolford, best known for his time with the Arizona Hotshots in the AAF. So that that backup quarterback spot is wide open, assuming they don't either bring Blake Bortles back or bring in a vet. Uh, so in either of those guys, it's a chance. And I, I feel like Bryce Perkins, if he doesn't make the team, uh, he'll find he'll find a spot on the practice squad. Uh, but all right, Thor, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. This was great. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Had a lot of fun. You got it, man. We'll talk soon. All right, once again, you can follow Thor on Twitter at ThorQ, T-H-O-R-K-U. Jeez. Uh, and we'll be back next week with Johnny. We'll be back. Uh, look, guys, it's 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 about to be June, so uh, we're trying to we're trying to spread out our offices and content as much as we can, and I thought our conversation with Thor today was worth its own pod, and Tomorrow, Derek will be back with Rams Talk Radio. So if you're looking for the the crew again, hit them up. Yeah, listen tomorrow. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams, at Ciberbero, at Johnny596. And we will talk to you guys next week. I don't really think I'm an idiot most of the time. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.